With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, everybody. Had some technical difficulty there for a second. Um, citizens of Gekonia, this is your captain speaking. Dave, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Uh, pour yourself a cup of tea, drink, hot toddy, whatever you feel like. Uh, tonight we have Rebecca Hassler of Dragoon Gecko, all the way from Germany. And it's 2 a.m. over there where she is. And it's an honor to have her calling in and doing an interview with us. Um, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest co-host tonight, Mr. Tim Walton. Tim, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. How you doing, Dave? Can you hear me all right? I can. Can you hear me now? I got you. I got you. Okay. Sometimes we have some difficulties with blog talk. It's no big deal. Um, show's going to continue on. How's everything with you, Tim? It's been ridiculously busy lately, but uh, I'm looking forward to the show tonight. Awesome. And you were you were with us when we did our original interview with Rebecca that turned out to fall into the lost episodes of Gecko Land Radio. So uh, that was I'm the, really no, no. happy. That was What's the that? grand finale. What do you mean? That was, that was the grand finale, that show. That was it. That was the last one. Oh, it one. was. That was, you're right. That was the very last show. But it's 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 now lost. So we're gonna be redoing the uh the whole episode tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. Um before we get started, I have to tell everybody that Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without our awesome sponsors. So check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. 
from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species, such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fantails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact MS2 ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Okay, everybody, we are back. And keeping with the theme of our new lineup with the show, uh, what we do is we bring on our guests and the guest uh, briefly tells us about themselves and brings us up to speed about who they are and what their operation is and uh, some pertinent information. And then we go ahead and do the news. Now, as you guys know, um, Steve, our news anchor, gives us a bunch of great stories. One of those stories is a false story. And you guys in the chat room have to figure out which one's the false story. And uh, also, later in the show, we will be taking calls from Rebecca. So if, you'd like, so if you'd like to be on the air and ask Rebecca a question, the number to call in on is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring on Rebecca. I think this is her number here. Hi, Rebecca, is this you? No, this is, this is Steve. Oh, Steve, okay, wrong number. Uh, hold on, <laughs> let me just, that's cool. Hold on, I'm going to hang up with you, Steve, and get you in a minute. I think this might I don't see Rebecca's number in here. Um hold on. Rebecca, is this you? Nope, that's not Rebecca either. Rebecca, is this you? Good evening, David. Hi Rebecca. Your number's not showing up on the on the queue here as the number you gave me, it's showing up as an 898 number. So I'm sorry, I apologize All right. for the confusion. I didn't know that. <laughs> but how are you? We are here. <laughs> Thank God, yes. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> Excited, as always. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be a you? fun interview. Um, I'm doing very well. And, and tonight we're basically doing a redo of what we did in the past. I have the same guest co-host, Mr. Tim Walton. Say hi, Tim. How you doing, Rebecca? 
Hi, I'm fine, Tim. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be talking to you again. <laughs> thank you. It's so nice talking to you guys again. Yeah, thank you for staying up so late. I know it's 2 a.m. over there, and um, it's just an honor to have you call in on the show. Um, before we get started, Rebecca, um, I'd like you, if you don't mind, for all the people that don't know who you are, and if you don't know who Rebecca is, get on the ball. Uh, but please, Rebecca, tell us who you are and what you do. All right. My name is uh, Rebecca Hasler. I'm studying veterinary medicine in Munich, Europe, and I've worked into the standard fish breeding uh, for some years before I finally switched over to leopard gecko breeding and founded Dragoon Gecko. I was breeding mostly wild-type leopard geckos from 2000 till 2005 and uh, then decided to switch over to the color morph breeding, which uh, I am still on, and uh, color morph breeding basically is what it's all about in Dragoon Gecko today. So um, that's basically it. Okay, cool. And I can see by some of your projects that they are definitely exceptional. And, you know, I guess the mark of a good breeder is someone that can basically see the subtleties in these different morphs and the different characteristics. And it seems to me that you have an excellent eye for, for genetics and, you know, what you're doing with this. Um, so, you know, it's just amazing. Somebody's, I'm looking at your website right now and your collection of uh, electrics and your ghosts and, oh, my God, your giants, your line-bred snows, your <laughs> white and yellows, your neons. The neons are incredible. I, I mean, it's just beautiful work. Beautiful work, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I mean, honestly, genetics has been one of the um, major interests in in this hobby for me. And, um, of course, um, in my breeding, it was not just about breeding leopard geckos right from the start. It was really about, you know, building and understanding bloodlines, getting really to know uh, about the animals that are around and picking the ones that I wanted to work with. So um, Dragoon Gecko is mostly known today um, for its work with the polygenetic traits over the last years, for example, the um, electrics and, for example, um, yes, uh, the, the speckled and paradox things. And, uh, yeah, also lavender stuff too. And uh, I hope that we were able to uh, bring some old lines on a, on a good new level or um, were able to establish new projects and quality was the main focus behind all of it. You are well, definitely well, successful definitely in doing that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> David, we're okay, going to go over each other again. Don't know me. I have to say that I'm not an English native speaker, so please bear with me. <laughs> I will do my very, very best. But I'm from Europe, so yeah. If I make a mistake, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I think you're doing no. very well. I don't know. <laughs> go ahead, Tim. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Dave, are we going to talk over each other all night again? I I, I hope not. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca, you're doing just fine. You're. English is perfect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Let's hope it stays All that right, way. So <laughs> it's, of course, absolutely, different absolutely. if you speak on the radio than, than talking privately. But, yeah, I give it my, my, I give my very best, for sure. 
Awesome. All right. So before we get into your actual interview, Rebecca, um, we're going to do the news. And uh, just like I stated before, the news stories, uh, one of them is a false story. And um, because you are guest tonight, after Steve gives us those stories, um, you'll have the, the first chance to figure out which one is the false story. So I'm going to oh, go no. ahead. Oh, no. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Because I trust uh, everybody. <laughs> oh, we can't trust Steve. He's tricky. He, he's very tricky. You can't trust him. <laughs> Hold on. Here we go. Good evening, Gekonians. Good evening, How are you guys Steve. doing? Doing good. Okay, last week we learned that there were anacondas as big around as hula hoops in the Everglades. This week, there were several articles, and I'll just read through the titles of a couple of articles. Anaconda invasion, Florida has an even bigger snake problem than those pesky pythons. Anacondas snake their way into Florida. And then the last article, an unstoppable anaconda invasion in Florida. Now this article argues last week's article. And if you remember, last week's title was The Largest Snake in the World Has Invaded Florida. In, the, in this article, it states that there is no evidence that a population of anacondas exists in Florida, and much of the information in the article came from indiv individuals affiliated with the Skunk Ape Museum. <laughs> for, for those of you who don't know, what the skunk, skunk ape is, it's Florida's version of Bigfoot. So they, a lot of their information in that article came from people affiliated with the Skunk Ape Museum. Hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right. yeah, staying, staying, <laughs> in, yeah, staying in Florida... A Burmese python measuring 15 feet surfaced near a boat in Monument Lake and was clubbed with an oar and then dragged ashore by two fishermen and turned into authorities. And sticking with the, with the giant snakes, <laughs> rising global temperatures might lead to super snakes. 60 million years ago, warmer temperatures helped produce some of the largest reptiles ever. Snakes of enormous size and turtles the size of kitchen tables or larger. According to paleontologist Jonathan Block, current increasing atmospheric carbon dioxide levels could lead to giant snakes in the future. And then in the article it says, bus-sized snakes. Wow. I <laughs> yeah. guess so, right? Yeah. I guess anyth anything's possible if we have uh, hula hoop-sized anacondas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Already. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, really. Unbelievable. All right. So, now, these are good ones. Animal Planet host to plead guilty to selling exotic reptiles. A former Animal Planet host of Wild Recon, Donald Schultz, is expected to plead guilty to federal to federal charge that he illegally sold two endanger, endangered Iranian monitor lizards. He faces a sentence of two years 
probation, 200 hours community service, and a $6,000 fine. He allegedly sold the two lizards to an undercover federal wildlife agent. And sticking with the Animal Planet theme, Swamp Brother, Robbie Kezi, I'm not sure, uh, from the Swamp Brothers, Kezi, formerly of the TV show Swamp Brothers, and an accomplice, have been found guilty of conspiracy to traffic in state and federally protected species. Between 2007 and 2008, they collected protected snakes from the wild in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and also purchased protected eastern timber rattlesnakes from New York and transported threatened eastern indigo snakes from Florida to Pennsylvania. They were in violation of the Lacey Act when they purchased the rattlesnakes and transported them to Florida. So there's a lot going on there. Wow. Um, and they could face up to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine for each violation. So they're, they're, looking at, they're looking at some time, and they, they were found guilty. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what kind of species they could have been taken from Pennsylvania. That's where I am. I don't know. Um, let's see. I'm not sure if they listed on there or not. Um, uh, just says, yeah, it just says protected snakes. Okay. Maybe uh, eastern hognose, perhaps, or um, maybe some of the venomous species. Um, I don't know. Probably yeah. Those, I would think. Yeah, the only ones that actually listed were eastern timber rattlesnakes, but they came from New York, and mm-hmm. eastern indigo snakes that came from Florida. <laughs> mhm. Okay. Yeah. But you would think they'd know better. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So then, right. in Dyer County, Tennessee. Four ball pythons and a boa constrictor were found dead in their enclosures in a storage building where they were being kept. It appeared that the necks were broke and one snake had puncture wounds on the throat. Under Tennessee law, whoever is responsible could face uh, face charges of aggravated animal cruelty. They, they don't know who did it, but... Um, the keepers kept them in a shed, in a heated shed. Um, and there's a mm. actual a video interview that uh, shows where they kept the snakes. But they didn't catch okay. anybody. Mm. Now, well, this, one's, be... this, <laughs> this one's a good one. Right. <laughs> a Japanese TV show had a woman with a piece of meat tied to her by a string dragged behind her as she ran from a Komodo dragon. And this was just a stunt. Oh, my God. And she survived the stunt. <laughs> but oh, and it, man. And 
there's a there was a video of this one that you know I, I wouldn't even try to approach a Komodo dragon, much less tie a piece of meat to me. And wow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's crazy. So that was our last story was the Komodo dragon story, and I'll do okay. a recap. Our, the yep, recap is people with ADD. An unstoppable anaconda invasion in Florida. Two fishermen club a python. Rising global temperatures might lead to super snakes. Former Animal Planet host to plead guilty to selling exotic lizards. Swamp brothers guilty. Swamp brother, excuse me, guilty of reptile trafficking. Five expensive exotic snakes found dead in shed. Show straps meat to woman and forces her to flee giant lizard. <laughs> Just re- reading right. the t- reading the title kills me. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. All right, Rebecca, ladies first. Which one is do you think is the false story? Oh well, this is really a tough one, considering I'm a gecko girl and not a snake girl. <laughs> and, um, hmm, really tough decision. Um, I would go for for the Japanese story, honestly. <laughs> okay. To be the fake. Japanese. Yep. But okay. that's just a guess. I think? mean. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Jim? I'm gonna go with the uh, fisherman clubbing the snake. All right. Hmm. All right. What are they saying in the chat room? Landon says the giant snakes. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Angela says giant snakes too. I'm kind of thinking that the uh, the uh, global warming story with the with the circumstances that could possibly lead to giant snakes coming back. I think that's the false story. What do you What do you say, Steve? Okay, the false story is the clubbing the python. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. I'm but, happy. I'm happy. But, That's a false story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, oh, okay. I actually, we're going to do a little uh, history here. I based it off of the oldest article I could find of a snake being found. And it was July 22nd, 1931, a 25-foot serpent, and keep in mind this is 1931, was captured in Sandusky, Ohio, by two fishermen after they clubbed it with their oars. It was placed in a crate, and its whereabouts after that is unknown. Other articles suggest it was an escaped... It was had escaped a circus train months before the capture. But that's 1931. Wow. So I, I kind of lo- loosely based it off of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that was good. You had me going. Well, so maybe there's <laughs> going to be some giant snakes. I'd like to see giant snakes well, come around. You know, I guess re- retics aren't big enough, right? Yeah, I guess not. But in that in that <laughs> article, though, it was a paleontologist that gave that theory. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. 
All right, Steve, I'm thinking we're going to get moving on the interview because it's like 2 in the morning for Rebecca. Um, I'd like you to give out your information for everybody so they can find you out online. All right, check out BC Barker Creations on YouTube and Facebook. All right, thank you very much for calling in with the great news tonight, Steve. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, everybody. We are back, and we're going to get right back into the interview with Rebecca. Um, Rebecca, one of the first things that people see on your website is these neon bells, and I think that may just be your signature project. Um, Why don't you start out by talking a little bit about how you got into these neon bells and um, what your plans are as as far as developing them. All right. Uh, First of all, it is funny to call the Neon Bells the signature project as uh, they have just joined our collection. (laughs) I was mostly known for the past years for breeding lavender and ghost stuff, to be honest. (laughs) But Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. they are a class of its own. And, uh, yeah, they were not bred by me. So um, all the honor of producing the very first Neon Bells goes to Dr. Christina Foss, uh, known as Lizard Girl in the U.S. And uh, she's been my friend for some time, and when she came up with the Neon Bells, it, yeah, uh, really, they stuck my eye, and it became quite obvious for me based on the work I have done before on several lines that uh, they are not only very interesting, but they were also significantly different from what I have seen before, first of all, and second of all, uh, that they produced very constantly, and that was what caught my eye and my attention, and I talked to her several times and finally got the very first neon bells she was willing to let out in 2012, so this year has been the very first year for me. Um, to breed them, and the results have been really blowing my mind. I'm um, a very critical person when it comes to breeding. I always am very picky about my breeders, and my expectations are pretty high. Um, I already wrote on my website some of the um, points that I focus on in my breeding, so the gecko basically does not just have to be pretty. It really has to fulfill a long, long list of characteristics in a high quality in order to get into my breeding program. So, of course, uh, whenever I'm doing a a cross, I'm very skeptical, or whenever I get a new project into my lines, I'm very skeptical, not in a bad way, but just from the genetic point, standpoint, and and the breeder's point of uh, reproducing quality. And uh, they really, really gave me nice results, so to speak. And uh, I will take over the whole project now, next year, and we're breeding them exclusively, or Dragoon Gecko will breed the Neon Bells exclusively from next year on. Wow, that's, wow. that's very interesting. Um, so they are Rebecca, just brand new. We don't know so much. What we know is that they are very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and they produce very constantly and in a nice quality. So, uh, of course, there will be some uh, projects and, and crosses to be done in the coming years. 
such as uh, white and yellow, for example. I think that is one cross that I'm really, really looking forward to do, and also um, producing uh, neon bell radars, actually. Rebecca, the, the neon bells are very, very pretty, and I was wondering, um, it looks like a lot of the geckos in your collection um, are the best examples of the morph that they that they represent, and I was wondering if you could talk about what you look for when you're um, obtaining new uh, genetics um, to produce you know, as nice of geckos as you are producing? Okay. Um, this is really a tough question because it would take me hours to, yeah, answer it in, in all details. Um, first of all, I think that the first important step in every breeder's decision to start a project or to breed geckos is to ask yourself, what do you want to do? And for me personally, it was very clear right from the start um, even in my teenage years, that I wanted to breed as best as possible. And, um, I mean, basically there are two ways to achieve that goal. You can either um, get the best quality you want and focus on really, really few projects, which I did many, many years, and build it up from scratch, basically, and invest the time and the money it, it takes. Um, yeah, or to, to get top animals um, and, and pay what they are worth for and value them and uh, evaluate them also in, in a very strict way. So basically um, what I'm looking for is, first of all, of course, a gecko that represents its morph the best way I can imagine, but also, and I think this is a point that is so important to me, that I want to you know, um, talk about also in this uh, episode, it's about general health and fertility management because you have to be aware what you're doing when you're breeding, you are reproducing, you're basically creating new life and you're responsible for what you produce. And therefore, it is a win-win situation for everybody included, yourself as a breeder, your customers, who will get healthy geckos and the geckos who will be treated with respect and care to make sure that you're really, really picky about your breeders, that you focus on what you can manage, and that you really uh, try to um, keep in mind not only the color, but also how the animal is reproducing and how good it is reproducing, meaning um, can it handle the stress of reproduction? Not every gecko that we produce and by far, not every gecko that we buy makes a perfect breeder for us. So I think this is really, really one of the keys to produce outstanding quality, to be aware that whenever you're doing a crossing, it is not an accident. It is the result of perfect care and, and careful planning. And also, um, yes, it is the chance to produce something better than the generation you already have. And in order to get near to that goal, you need to be careful and selective and honest with the strengths and weaknesses that you can find in every animal. I, I love that philosophy, Rebecca. I have to say that it's just hearing you say that is something, it's very refreshing because, of course, 
that's a philosophy philosophy that I know very well and that I incorporate here. Um, I, I don't know if this is an issue in Europe, but there is there is a lot of um, indiscriminate breeding that was done in the past, and there are probably still some breeders out there in the states that basically just breed for numbers, breed for breed for money, breed to create geckos to sell. Um, in Europe and in Germany, uh, do you do you have that issue? Is that happening on a on a bigger scale where you are, or do a lot most of the people have your philosophy? Would you say, um, David? I think we have this problem on the whole world around the globe. It's a red thread okay. that is, um, you know, in in my opinion, it's a red thread coming uh, or spinning through the whole society worldwide. And I have to say, um, from the standpoint. Um, of a veterinary student, I see many, many geckos in the daily uh, work um, in the clinic that are be taken there, that are not um, really appreciated from their owners because they were cheap and they don't get the best medical care they could have because they are cheap and it's not really worth in the eyes of the owners to treat them properly. So um, uh, being confronted with this truth that uh, many reptile specialists actually are aware of the fact that leopard geckos are one of our most popular species, reptile species ever held in captivity, but are one of the rarest patients they ever see in their daily work. So uh, it, it became on a very early standpoint, very clear to me that uh, we had to do something different. So that was basically the idea behind Dragoon Gecko. We are not a big, massive breed. I mean, of course, we, we grow into a certain number over the years, but we started pretty, pretty slow. I built this um, breeding uh, together with my colleague Martina Konechny, who is now uh, a reptile vet at the Veterinary University of Vienna in Austria. So she knows firsthand um, what it's like to be a reptile vet when it comes to leopard geckos and having the problem that many people are only willing to invest of medical care into an animal and what they paid for. And... Um, so I think this was one of our most uh, important steps that we build up the philosophy as complex as it is today and that we also tried uh, in the past few years to give this philosophy, to give this knowledge how to breed for quality, not only to our customers, but also um, to the people around the world, gecko enthusiasts as well, and uh, this is a point that is very, very important for me and which makes me actually very, very happy because it is one of the few chances to actually do something about this problem. It's a, it's a great responsibility, that's for sure. And that's also something ahead, great to teach. That's something great to teach um, newcomers to the hobby. Um, and along the same lines, Rebecca, can you talk about what the geckos mean to you, um, not just monetarily, but what they mean to you, um, you know, what, what makes them so important to you? <laughs> um, the, yeah, the funny thing is uh, the longer you're breeding leopard geckos, 
the better you get to know them. I always was the type of um, person that really enjoyed watching them. And when you're working with lions, especially if you're trying to improve families, so to speak, in, in a wider uh, sense, we are not doing uh, inbreeding. If we can avoid it, we're trying to do as much outcrossing and line breeding as possible. But still, you have these families. And at a specific point, you will realize that some animals differ also in character from others, which brought us to the idea why don't we want to support this? I mean, actually, our leopard geckos, our color mouth mutations, will never be used for a reintroduction program in the wild. Therefore, it is our responsibility to um, make them, um, to breed them in a way so they can enjoy their life in captivity as best as possible. In my opinion, from the standpoint of animal welfare, it is clearly um, a positive point for a leopard gecko in captivity if he does not fear human beings. So we are putting great efforts in raising our young. We are handling them. We're socializing them, so to speak. And when I first told people about characters and socializing leopard geckos, they were all <laughs> a bit um, amused, so to speak, like, oh, no, cats and dogs, maybe. But, but why are you taking this so serious? And the answer for me always was, I mean, a breeder is a breeder. It doesn't matter if you breed dogs or cats. You are responsible. Those are living, feeling beings. And they have so much to offer. And if you're able to listen to them, you will be able to see what they, uh, what, what, what they are capable of. I mean, of course, they are not as highly uh, vocalized as a dog or a cat or something, but they have a kind of, of body language. They can tell you with some sounds if they don't like something. And we should respect that. I mean, it's not just an item that you buy and reproduce. It's a living being. And you, it is something that I actually said in our last episode and which was so important to me, maybe the, the most important point of, of the whole interview. You owe them um, to, to, to have a good life. You owe them respect and you owe them your responsibility. So oh, that's I what we that. are trying and to do. Yeah, Rebecca, that's awesome. And you know, one of my one of my things that I like to try to get across to uh, you know new people to the hobby, um, some people that have never owned a pet to begin with. This may be they've never even had a dog or a cat. This may be like their first pet ever. I try to instill the the fact that these are living, conscious life forms, just like you and me, and they may be limited in their ways of communication but that doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. So, you know, they lack vocal cords, they lack, you know, opposable thumbs, they can't do sign language, they can't talk to us, but that doesn't mean that they're stupid. And um, I think a lot of people do understand that, and a lot of people take great care of their animals. Um, which brings me to something else that I like about what you're doing in particular, and that's Just, just your one thing, David, I totally agree with you here, but maybe the more important mm -hmm. question is, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if they're intelligent or not. I mean, even those are basic emotions. Every animal can feel emotions like yes. fear or positive feelings. Otherwise, this whole 
life wouldn't work. We wouldn't be able to, to make new experiences and learn from it. And as long as we can't totally say what's going on in, in the head of our geckos, we can't deny the fact that they are probably capable of having basic emotions. And one of the emotions is, is pain. They can definitely feel pain. So maybe they can mm -hmm. feel fear too. And the question is, do you want to take the risk or, or from an emotional um, or yeah, ethical standpoint, can you um, close your eyes before that fact or do you want to be, uh, take that into account and trying to do um, yeah, the right thing? Mm -hmm. I did a video on my YouTube channel uh, quite a while ago. It's called uh, something to the effect of how to relate to your leopard gecko. And it wasn't like basically a, a how-to video. It was basically just me talking about how I basically interact with my geckos. And, um, of course, I have a lot here, so I can't really give each one a lot of attention. But when I do, I definitely take the time to relate to uh, them as much as I can. And in the video, uh, the gecko was so comfortable with me that it literally just took its hands and put it on my hand, kind of like just saying, hi, I'm here, and I trust you. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was a very, I didn't expect it to do that, but it was just like the perfect thing for it to have done for that particular video because it basically showed everyone that, you know, these geckos are comfortable with me. They're not afraid of me. Now, I've seen other yeah. people do videos, and, and the geckos are trying to get away from them as fast as they can. And that, just, that doesn't mean that the person's a bad breeder or anything. It just means that, you know, perhaps they haven't taken the time to yeah. uh, associate with them. Definitely. Yeah. You will see on our homepage, you will see actually a lot of pics, uh, pictures of us handling very young geckos, which are quite docile and tame for the age. And um, so I can definitely support the thesis. And uh, we also try to take that into account in our breeding program. And it definitely shows an effect um, to remove aggressive breeders from our breeding program, to remove also all animals that don't feel really comfortable with breeding. Like I said, it's not a guarantee if you're buying a gecko that it can reproduce the way it should be or, or it's supposed to be. And what I can definitely say about characteristics is that I can... Um, <laughs> we were always joking with my friends that, that this was something for the vet and dust uh, show, that you can put out a gecko and, and put it into my hands and I can tell you from the characteristics and from the way it behaves from which line it is. So I have really? the curious ones. I have the very active ones. For example, one of our electrics, uh, he was the first one ever to be exported to Europe. And his story is, is a very interesting one and, and one of his own. Um, I don't want to go into details here, but he was the first one. He was uh, imported by Gecko Galaxen and found his way to me years later. And his name is Saturn. And he was um, handled over to me with the words, be very careful, he's a bitey one. He is now <laughs> with me for several years. He has never, ever tried to bite me. He is very nice, but he likes to be handled with respect and with care. And, and he is a bit territorial towards other males, so I respect that. I put him a little bit away from the other males and surround him by more female cages, then it's totally fine with him. And you can definitely tell if he's looking at you, I don't know what it is, 
but there is something going on. This gecko is just following you with his view. He is attentive. He is focusing on you. And as soon as I open the box and I talk to him, he, he definitely recognizes something. I don't know if it's the voice. I'm not the gecko scientist here, so I don't want to make claims I can't prove. I can't tell you what it is, but maybe the smell or the sound or whatever, he's able to recognize me. And he's behaving different when I handle him or when other people handle him. So maybe we have a kind of personal relationship that other people uh, can't have or, or don't have that are just visiting my stock. But, yeah, how can you see this and not say they have character? It was totally obvious to me, and it becomes more and more clear the more I work with those lines. Yep. And, yeah, character and personality is something that I see uh, quite regularly in my own collection. Um, like, for instance, uh, Marsha McGinnis of Golden Gate Gecko, she has a line of blizzards that is just known for uh, being for lack of a better word, I guess kind of, she describes them as being bitchy. And, you know, they they are, the females are very, you know, they're tense in your hand. They, and this is, this isn't just, you know, one person saying this. This is a lot of people that have worked with that particular line that it seems like these particular blizzards have a personality trait that is inherited, so to speak. So they, they seem to all have this. Now, that brings me to my next question do you think that personality is something that can be bred for with leopard geckos? For sure. We've done this for many years. I mean, obviously there is something that you can prove in facts and something as a breeder that you can't prove right now. But um, I have the strong feeling um, that whenever I selected my lines, on a specific character trait, and I always selected for, yes, uh, tameness and at, yeah, attentiveness to, to, um, to the human. Um, it does show an effect. For example, we got the first Nexno Ghost Jungles. We've been working with a ghost for quite some time, and then we got the very first Nexno Ghost Jungles back in 2007 from Sweden. And they were quite, I don't know, a bit noisy or, yeah, like, they behaved like normal leopard geckos at that time, so to speak. And, uh, yes, um, I was trying to eliminate their shyness or, um, yeah, the, the, it's hard to explain if English is not your mother tongue. I mean, actually, they were not aggressive, but they didn't really like to be handled. And I try to pick out um, the young ones that um, sh were showing the trait, the characteristics that I was looking for for some generations. And after just three years of, of line breeding, I had one line of ghosts that were significantly, and my customer told me this too. It's not just that I say, hey, they are tamer. It was that, that I definitely had a comparison between the people of the old line and the people of the new line which told me oh the ghosts are so tame and the others were like yeah you know they're a bit special and a bit picky and uh, yeah that, that definitely shows up not in one of our projects but it's a red line in, in every of our projects that definitely they do become 
tamer if you select for it, which makes totally sense because we know uh, from some scientific papers of cognition research in uh, silver foxes, for example, but also in other species, that aggressiveness is highly inheritable. And if it, if it is inheritable in um, higher species, it totally makes sense that there is at least the same heritability in, in not so um, yes, higher species as well, because it makes totally sense. If you're more aggressive in the wild, you get more resources, uh, you get more food probably, you get your own territorium, you get your breeding partners. So um, if it is a profitable thing to do, um, it makes sense that it is inheritable. So if aggressiveness can be bred for, the reverse can be bred too. So that was the theory mm -hmm. behind all of this, and uh, personally I, I can definitely support the thesis, so to speak, that you can have a huge effect on how you want your geckos to be. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with you, Rebecca, and I think it goes along the same lines as every other animal. You know, we've selectively bred animals for hundreds of thousands of years, and um, just like hunting dogs were bred to hunt, um, leopard geckos are being bred for, for different traits, and any one of them, you know, can be selectively produced. Um, would you agree uh, with the statement that uh, we're basically on our way to domesticating leopard geckos? Yes, sure. Definitely. And it is, again, in my opinion, from the point of animal welfare, a right thing to do if you work with color morphs. If you're working with wild types, you are, I mean, I'm a very um, open-minded person. I uh, think it is really, really important in our community and a very precious feature to be open for everything and be aware of the fact that you are always searching for new things and that you will never know everything and that with new knowledge there also comes new theories, but from the um, actual point of knowledge I would definitely support the thinking that it is a good idea to breed the color morphs for um, stress-less life, for a life as stressless and enjoyable as possible in captivity and for the wild types um, like I said the people are free to decide what they want to do if they want to uh, conserve populations that could be used for reintroduction uh, in the wild of course it is not a very handy feature to have very tame leopard geckos walking around and in their habitat and getting eaten but um, yeah, you, you always have to. You can see on on this question alone, things are not as easy as they look. And I think one of the most important things is to be aware of that fact that there is always more than one way to do things, and there is not always one best solution for for everything. So basically, you have to think about what you want to do and how to achieve. Uh, the best solution for the animal in question. I think this is a better way to 
um, yes. Get to Rebecca, the yeah. do you, I know uh, last time you spoke about your caging. Um, are your cages where you keep um, your adult leopard geckos, are they, do they have front opening doors or are they, do they open on the top of the cages? That totally depends. Again, <laughs> it is not as simple as it may, it may look. I have a rack system for quarantine because um, this, uh, the whole idea behind a quarantine station is a hygienic surrounding and the best overview of what a gecko is doing, if he's eating properly, if he's drinking, if he's pooping and how the poop looks and maybe collecting samples from it, sending it to a vet to make sure he doesn't have uh, illnesses like uh, cryptosporidiosis or um, parasites, etc. So this is a surrounding where you really want a clear, um, sterile environment and where this is absolutely necessary in order to work professionally in the quarantine time. After that, you can think about what you want to do. I have, uh, I'm housing my um, younger geckos, the hatchling, to sub-juvenile uh, stage in boxes that are open on the top. I think it's not a bad thing because then they are used to it, no matter what their later owners decide. And my breeders are housed in slide doors, so and adults too. So basically, I'm trying to use both systems to give the geckos uh, an experience of both versions, so they are ready for the new life um, in different uh, surroundings. The, the reason why I ask is because uh, I I believe I read um, several years ago. Um, someone that was keeping their leopard geckos in front opening enclosures that were kind of high, um, almost at, at eye level in their room, and the, they said that their geckos seemed to be more docile or at least not get startled as easily as geckos that were lower down with top opening cages. And it, it makes sense that, you know, if a leopard gecko instinctively, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're predated on, by, by birds of prey in their native habitat. And so our hands could look very similar to like a hawk's um, claw coming down on them from above. So if the geckos see our face, they will be less startled than... Um, than having our big hands coming down on top of it. Yes. Um, I can, I, I definitely see the sense in it. And I also told this, or usually tell this, my customers, uh, when I explain how to handle a gecko properly, that please don't come on the top and don't come in, in quick um, motions. Be slow, be gentle. And normally they, they, they calm down or they are they stay calm all the time. So, but again, <laughs> you can see um, it's not as easy as it looks. Okay, I'm repeating myself over here, but it is true. Um, if you're hatching a gecko that is bred for tamer behavior successfully, and if you raise it in a front open top 
and it never experiences the other caging system, it will, of course, or it makes sense to me, uh, I, I would have the strong feeling it, it would need some time or would not feel comfortable with this housing method. I mean, um, from the theory, the front open boxes are more sympathetic to me because of the reasons you already mentioned. But I also think it is important, um, at least for us, we, we want to, you know, handle our geckos. We want to imprint them. We want to work with them, so to speak. So uh, it is important for us to to use both methods to get our geckos used to it. And, and if you're getting a baby gecko used to the um, to the other system, I don't think it will have such big troubles um, living in there. But it also depends on your personal behavior. If you're scaring the gecko, if you're not taking into consideration that he is also responding to your actions by the way he's moving, maybe if he's lifting up his feet and wagging its tail, and just or just the way he's looking at you and following you. Yeah. Dave, maybe with all of your free time, you can do some experiments on that. Uh, yeah, I know. I'd like to. Um, it's you know, it is something though that I am interested in very much. And you know, one of the reasons uh, behind me wanting to do this radio show is to get this kind of good, solid um, information out to people. So, like right now, Rebecca and Tim, both of you guys know there's like this. Uh, there's on the internet. There's all kinds of information information about. Um, geckos, leopard geckos, and how to care for them. Everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own way of doing things, which is, which is fine. But what, what I like about um, what Rebecca is doing, I'm going to get, get to that in one second, um, is she's taking it one step further, and she's actually creating her own structured courses and um, like coaching uh, for people that want to get involved with geckos. See, that, nobody's doing that here in America. So what we have here is we have a lot of people that, number one, a lot of people are too lazy to buy Ron Tripper's book and read it. Um, number two, a lot of people are getting bits and pieces of information on the Internet, sometimes from bad sources um, that just don't know what they're talking about. Um, Rebecca, I'd like you to explain on the show tonight a little bit about your, your coaching and what you do because I hope it enlightens others here in, in America to maybe start something similar. And I think the fact that um, a lot of the information on the Internet is free, it isn't always absorbed correctly. It isn't always taken seriously. And I'd like to hear your, your input on all that, if you will. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think the main difference between a leopard gecko book and the many, many informations, the, actually the tons of informations that can be found in the Internet is that it doesn't take you much to make a post in the Internet. Nobody is criticizing you. Nobody is uh, having doubts about your personal references or experience. You can claim everything, basically. I don't mean that in a bad way. The Internet and all its forums and forums can provide great, great spaces for information and first-hand information. But I can see the problem for a beginner um, yeah, dividing the useful information from the not-so-useful information. And one of the points, um, this is where our coaching uh, comes in. I didn't have or don't have the time writing a book 
actually, because I'm too busy with the study and uh, with my breeding program. Uh, many people don't see how much time it really takes to make this breeding in the way we are doing it. Every gecko that leaves our stock or that is born in our stock is the result of careful genetic planning and careful research. So we have to put a lot of time and thoughts into every season to make it work in the way we want to do it and um, in our hopes to yeah, actually improve ourselves. What we want to do is we don't, I always say we don't, breed geckos. We want to improve them. And this is also why when, when people ask me how many holdbacks do you have every year, and I tell them, well, actually, I don't have a holdback every year. And they are so shocked. Why is that? They are so pretty. Maybe. But you, if, if you're breeding, you're taking in a great responsibility, and you're messing a little bit with nature. So you really have to be responsible and being responsible in my personal view, is doing your job as Mother Nature would and taking fertility and strength and general anatomy. We can talk about this later first. And then, of course, you focus on the lines and things that you want. But in order to get all of this step done in one gecko, it really needs time. So this is where our coaching came in, basically. I had the problem that we got so many questions that... We would love to answer, but um, either the people were not really listening, um, meaning they were taking the information how to breed a female, technically, but they didn't want to, to hear why it is not a good idea in your own interest to breed a female. For example, this is a perfect example, to breed a female every season or breed a female before a certain level. I mean, we are actually seeing so many, and this is a very interesting side note. In our clinic, we are seeing a lot of females getting egg-bound, and they are all around uh, a pretty young age. And they, most of them have been bred const uh, constantly. So, of course, Nature selects different than breeders. In nature, the goal is just to reproduce as much as possible and then die. We don't want to do that. And if we don't want to do that, we need to think about that, how to do it different. And that was the idea, for example, for us to say, okay, we're getting a bigger breeding stock, so we don't have to breed a female every season if we feel she's not ready for it. Or if we feel she needs a break, she will get a break. And people were, at first they were pretty confused, but they uh, quickly uh, realized the sense in it. And, um, yeah, actually the whole idea of the coaching was an act of desperation because we had so many inquiries. And we realized, as you see right now, I could talk about this the whole night and we wouldn't get to every point. It's not just about the basic knowledge how to take a gecko pair into reproducing eggs and getting those eggs to hatch. It's a whole philosophy behind it. And the reason uh, why you should be sensitive to this or interested in this is that if you're doing your job correctly and if you take into um, consideration 
uh, this uh, the philosophy uh, behind that not only we have, but also many, many breeders from U.S. and also good breeders from Europe. It is a win-win situation. You will be able to produce animals that are beautiful and that are healthy. You will then be able to sell them in an already overflooded market for a price that makes it able for you to continue your program. And you're getting respected for your work, which makes it... Um, uh, yeah, able to, to continue your work on an emotional basis because uh, many people uh, jump out of the hobby after a few years because it's just not fun getting stuck with so many geckos that you can't sell. And also your customers, they are expecting certain things of you and of the animal in question. So it is a win-win situation for all three of you, for the geckos you produce, for yourself and your customers, to do it right. And in order to do it right, haha. <laughs> uh, you need to, to learn some basics and you need to learn what actions uh, cause react, which reactions. And so we quickly realized it was an impossible task to answer every email in detail for every of our um, clients or, or people interested in this. And um, we tried to do this for some time. We couldn't really do it to a satisfying amount, and we also made the experience that people were yeah, just using the information that we gave them, but didn't really care about uh, yeah, the ethics behind, which was not good for our hobby and for the scene as a whole. So uh, there was the decision to, okay, offer this coaching for everyone who is really, really interested in doing this. And in our coaching, we will not only tell you how to breed pretty geckos or yeah, how to achieve your goals in, in breeding the phenotype that you want, but also achieving your goal, how to become a serious breeder and what is respected of a serious breeder and how you can do this without you know, um, getting in, in huge difficulties by doing so. So many people actually think that it is, a lot more complicated doing things uh, the right and clear way. And as we can see, we had some already fantastic interviews here with other U.S. breeders. You can clearly see it is not. It is just a point that you have to think about and, and a few goals that you have to define for yourself. And we are here to help you and support you in that. That's that's a really awesome philosophy, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing it with us. And I think, again, it's also very important to pass uh, some of this these philosophies on to newcomers, um, people who haven't had some of these ideas before um, to kind of open their eyes to some other possibilities, you know, not just selectively breeding for color or for size, um, but breeding for other characteristics. Um, I have some very old leopard geckos that I still breed, and, um, you know, they're, they're perfectly healthy. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't breed them. But, um, you know, uh, other farmers of other animals, you know, selectively breed for some of the same things, and they, they know, um, for instance, a female chicken has an optimal weight for her to lay her, you know, a good number of eggs, so they feed her to keep her at that optimal weight. Um, I know a lot of reptile breeders kind of just give their 
animals in unlimited buffet, which leads to obesity and doesn't necessarily make them the best breeders. Exactly. It also affects highly the bone structure and also um, the muscles and the way they are. You can find animals that have very dry musculation. If you hold them in your hand, they are tight. And you also have geckos, or you can find geckos, uh, which gain too much weight too quickly. You have the feeling they are really soft and a bit of wobbly yeah. in your hands. So, um, yes, I mean, what, what we are... Um, what we have to think about all the time when dealing with leopard geckos is that reptiles are not warm-blooded animals. They live or <laughs> uh, over a long, long time. They have lived in an environment with uh, few food and prey items available. They do not do so well in obesity and this results can clearly be found in many, many anatomy, uh, autopsy reports done by animals that actually died. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, from the, the talking with other reptile vets and also from what I have seen while being in the reptile clinic, that many leopard geckos die at a relatively young age, which makes me very, very sad and very thoughtful what could be the cause of this. And, of course, there are so many, like in humans and in other animals, there are many different diseases and illnesses. But I think one way we can manage uh, to extend the lifetime of our animals is being aware that food is, so important to the whole way this organism, right from the day it hatches, develops into adulthood. adulthood. This is a very critical point of, of evolving for every uh, vertebrate animal, no matter if warm-blooded and cold-blooded. And also we have to take into account that maybe, I mean, science is not as far yet, but maybe reptiles don't really do so well on an over uh, offer on on calories and vitamins and so on. We can see this already. Uh, the best way it can be seen is uh, the metabolic bone disease. We can see this quite often on Facebook too. That um, the animals are either getting too less vitamin D3 or too much of it, and both of it causes a deformation in the bones and makes them weak and very soft. And it would be, yes, um, it is one point behind all of Dragoon Gecko to raise the, the awareness um, of the well-being of, of an animal. And um, I would be very, very happy if people would take the chance to use their common sense and, and think a little bit about what uh, those animals um, have adapted for in the wild when it comes to food and maybe think about how to improve. I mean, there's always room for improvement, and we can see it with the caging topping, uh, topic and, and with the feeding topic. Right now we don't have the perfect solution, and maybe we never will, but that's not important. Important is our quest for 
for new and important information and our willingness to to be open-minded for our geckos and, and interested in our geckos' uh, well-being. And awesome. I think by doing that, we can achieve a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. Uh, I was just going to say thanks, Rebecca. That's awesome. And I know, Dave, you're ready to uh, take us to the break, and then we'll come back and pick up uh, right where we're leaving off. Yep, sure. that's right, everybody. Uh, here's the call-in number because we're going to take uh, calls uh, with Rebecca in the, in the next half. Uh, the number, again, is 646-478-5331. If you guys want to just call in and listen, uh, that's fine. Call that number. It'll ask you. Um, if you'd like to speak to the host, press 1. If you press 1, it'll put you in the call queue, and then I'll know that you want to talk to Rebecca, and I'll take your call in, in the order that it's received. If you don't want to uh, ask a question live on the air, just call the number and don't press 1. Okay? All right, everybody. We'll be back in a minute. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fantails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Okay, everybody, we are back and we are here with Rebecca Hassler of Dragoon Gecko. Uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines now and it looks like there's already a couple calls in here. Uh, this will be the hour where 
we will uh, have phone calls with Rebecca. Um, so let's go ahead and take the first caller. Caller from the 602 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello? Hi, caller. How are you? Yes, it's you can. Carter from Sea Critters Exotics. Hey, Carter. How's it going, bud? Hey. So at the Phoenix Reptile Expo, I was running there for last weekend, I think it was, and I picked up my first corn snake, and I know you're more of a gecko guy, but you do have a few, and he, and I took him out at the expo, and I was handling him, and he was very friendly, and then, like, I took him home, and I was setting him up, and he was really aggressive, and then I pick him up, and then he's fine again. And I'm just wondering what that is. Hmm. I'm not sure, Carter, about the corn snakes, but why don't you uh, private I, message me, and and we'll talk about that, um, yeah. on a, uh, you know, off the air, because tonight I want to have the questions uh, uh, directed towards Rebecca. Okay. All right. Thanks, Carter. Okay. Um, the, the other caller we have is from the 317 area code. 317, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave and Rebecca. This is Mike from Indianapolis. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. You? Hey, guys. So I noticed uh, on your website, Rebecca, you had a, uh, a pat or a, what was it, a, a stripe and a reverse stripe lavender gecko. I'm wondering how close you are to getting a patternless stripe. Uh, you mean a paddleless purple gecko? Well, yeah, you I had think... a reverse stripe and a stripe. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got one this season. Um, it came out from combining our always linebred snow line um, with uh, the ghost line, and it is actually a paddleless linebred snow, paddleless lavender eclipse. So um, <clears throat> it happened quite by accident because, uh, yeah, that's how funny it can be it always was one of my um holy grails to to hatch out one day purple gecko with black eyes but of course due to the very complex genetics of lavenders it became quite obvious after a few years that it will be a hard try so uh, the main focus over the last years has been just to improve the lavender and being happy with the results we have done and then yeah we we surprisingly hatched one, and right now it's keeping the colors very, very nicely. And, um, yeah, let's, let's hope uh, it will stay that way, but for now looking good so far. We have uh, made a post about this gecko on geckoforms.net already, and uh, I will also release a YouTube video in the future about this one. So, yeah, we got one. Oh, that would be great. Excellent. Can't wait to see that one. So. Yeah, awesome. I guess, uh, I guess yeah. one more quick question. Uh, do you ever send um, your you know, export to the U.S.? Yes, I do, actually. I can send, or I do send geckos usually um, to the parallel to the hump shows, which are every year in March, September, and December. So I can... Uh, 
highly recommend all U.S. customers that are interested to getting in touch with me a little bit ahead in time to give us the chance to organize everything properly. And uh, yes, with a bit of planning, it, it is really no problem shipping our geckos to the U.S. We already sure. have, and we would be really happy to do so uh, in the future again. Okay, well, great. Uh, thanks, Rebecca, and uh, thanks for taking my call, David. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for calling in. Thank you so much. Have a good All time. Right. All right. Mike's cool. He's called in before. Um, Rebecca, one of the things we have to talk about, of course, is the ghosts that you work with. Your ghosts are phenomenal. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your ghost projects? Okay. Um, yes. I, the work with a ghost um, has been a cornerstone, actually, of um, the work at Dragoon Gecko. I have bred them for many years. And um, actually, they are not something new. Many people think, oh, the ghost is something new. No, it, it is not. It actually is a very, very old-school morph that is supposed to be um, hatched at either uh, Ray Hine or um, Alex Hugh. We don't know for sure, unfortunately, because uh, the early data of, of the origin were lost. It is for mm -hmm. a fact for sure that they were bred at Alex Hugh Reptile Stock for many years, uh, I think until 2005, 2006 or 2007. Um, uh, I can't pick a year, but that was the time when, when he stopped breeding them because the early ghosts were... Uh, very dark and muddy, and they became soon forgotten because of all the other new mutations popping up at that time on the gecko market. Everybody was rushing into the new combos, and especially when, when the raptor and all that stuff appeared, it, it was uh, kind of a deadline for, unfortunately, many, many lines. And, uh, yes, they, they caught my eye. Uh, at a very early stage, I worked with them. I got the first animals from Alex Hughes' stock, worked with a banded form, and uh, heard actually nothing of them for quite some time. And then 2007, um, they popped up again with a big bang, in the, at least in the European community, um, with Artlings geckos, uh, Max Snow Ghost jungles in, in Sweden. And that was... Uh, yeah, the, the time where I decided I, I really have to get uh, into this project too. I really need to breed the, the, the jungle form beside the bandits. So I got them in 2007, took over the whole project, and selectively bred out the dark, muddy colors. We tried to reduce the spotting. We tried to increase the lavender, which we found uh, was a good idea because lavender and ghosts seem to go along very well. They, they like each other, so to speak. And um, that was basically the foundation of all our modern ghost projects that we are working with today. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I love the lavender stuff. I'm, I'm working with um, JMG Lavender Stripe uh, genetics here, and I've uh, done some cool crosses with them. Um, the lavender ghosts are awesome. They really are cool. Do you think the lavender gene um, 
is well, well that's that's my question. What do you think the lavender lavender gene is more or less? Do you think it's a polygenic? <laughs> we need to make or? it. We need to make a new show about this topic. Honestly, <laughs> we can we can we can certainly do that. <laughs> I don't think it's one gene. I don't think so at all. Lavender has been really one of the most tricky things ever to breed here at Dragoon Gecko. It, it has, it's driving me nuts sometimes. It really is one step <laughs> forward, two or three steps backward. People are seeing the geckos and see, oh, yeah, well, they're nice, and if you have a solid purple gecko, then you call me. I buy one. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> as if that will happen ever. <laughs> I mean, okay, well, so this year right? we got one anyway, but... Um, usually it is um, a, a real passion of me. I, I really like the color, but otherwise I don't think I would have had the, t- the patience over all those years to push them forward. And we have, we really had to invest many, many years, many animals, much dollars also in order to make it happen and also think very wisely of the crosses uh, we were doing. So um, lavender is is surely a a topic of its own, and I would really love to go into uh, more details about this in in either a a separate show or a, a new article, online article, because I have the feeling it would be really cool of just cutting the edge here. There's so much to say about them, uh, how the color is affecting uh, the, the pigments in the skin and so on and so forth. So I really think it, it, it would be nice to save this for, yes, uh, a separate okay. topic because they deserve their own topic for sure. But let's say they are very I, uh, difficult to breed and it takes you a long time and a good uh, line breeding knowledge to or the right animals to, to from a breeder that is doing his line work properly in order to reach your goals. Absolutely. And you know what, Rebecca, we're going to be doing some um, special episodes uh, with Gecko Nation Radio where we, we call them the roundtable discussions, and it's basically a group of, you know, three to four breeders that get together to talk about certain topics. Our last one we did was about recessive genes. So, you know, That one was awesome, by the way. Really enjoy. Oh, thank you so show. much. Thank you. And you know what? You're more than welcome to join us on those types of discussions. In fact, I was hoping that this interview, and it's turning out just how I wanted, but I was hoping that this interview, interview would basically be the show that helps people here get to know exactly who you are so that if uh, you do want to come back on these future episodes, it's not like a formal interview. You know what I mean? We can just get right into you know, talking about certain topics. <laughs> that would be so nice. It, it would really be a pleasure doing that. I would love to, awesome. to do that, for sure. That would be great, because we're going to have, like, you know, some of the top breeders in the U.S., Marsha, Matt, people like that, and uh, you're definitely one of the top breeders in the world, so you're more than welcome. Um, we do have another... Oh, uh, wow. Here. You really do think so. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh. Rebecca, listen, just listening to you talk is incredible. You're, you're just... You, you're intelligent, very, very intelligent, and that is something that I have to tell you is very refreshing these days. So <laughs> don't ever think you're not in that category. Um, let's take this Whoa, call here. Now you make me forward. blush, huh? <laughs> uh, well, that's what I'm trying okay. to do. <laughs> All right, call it from the 330 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello? Hey, caller, how are you? 
Uh, I'm good. I'm enjoying the show a lot so far. Awesome. Who's this? This is Brooke. Oh, hey, Brooke. Brooke is uh, the awesome graphic designer that just made the new FlexSwat uh, logo and my new logo for my uh, website and Facebook page. So thank you for that, Brooke. Thank you. <laughs> what's your What's your question tonight for uh, for us and Rebecca? Um, Rebecca, I was wondering um, how important you think that um, mental stimulation for a leopard gecko is. Like I see them in these breeding tubs and they just have one hide in their food dishes and sometimes they're alone, they can't see out. And I, 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 you know, sometimes I'm concerned if they need more stimulation than that. This is a very, very good question, Brooke, and it's a tough one. And um, the reason why it is so difficult to answer is that there are always two sides of a coin in, in my personal feeling. I personally want my geckos to be stimulated, so I definitely agree with you there that um, an environment just, you know, in the plastic tub with the bowl and water dish forever, I mean, we are not talking about quarantine, um, where the main focus is the animal's health and well-being for a short period of time. So this, this is the exception, but uh, a life in those boxes can surely lead to more apathic uh, geckos, or at least that is my feeling. On the other hand, I mean, we have to take into consideration that many juveniles do not do well into full-set terrariums when they are under a certain size. They don't eat well because the food is literally escaping from them. They can digest um, sand or other substrates. So um, also I, I have the strong feeling that for uh, the females, they are socially tolerant. But um, as I said before, when you're doing what you're doing for more than one or two years, you come to a point where you realize something that, that hasn't been talked about in any book or, or in any discussion before, or at least not to your knowledge. So uh, you're standing there a little bit yeah, speechless and, and asking yourself, well, what I'm going to do with, with this new impression? And my impression is that, for example... Um, I still think it's a good idea to house females together, but I have the feeling that big groups of breeding females do not so well um, for the well-being of every single animal than small groups of females because one female in almost every case tends to be the dominant one, and um, there are we already talked about the different characters in geckos, so... In my personal breeding stock, I'm taking into account the characteristics of every gecko, and I really try to set up the female group so that they fit in character. I don't want a shy female and a small female to be uh, forced to live in a small space with a big, you know, like a matrone female that, that is getting all the food and and getting all the favorite spaces and blocking um, heights, etc. So... Um, yeah, it is another topic that, that shows us that um, not every question is so simple as it seems and that it is so important to discuss it. I mean, I actually am right now in the process of designing a new um, 
a new uh, environment for my geckos, and I still haven't found the perfect solution. So I'm also on the continuous search of the perfect solution that might pop up right now. I have found some uh, good ways, but not the one that is really, really satisfying me to the fullest extent. So, <laughs> yeah, there's always so much to learn and, and to think. And basically, I think it's a good idea to offer your leopard gecko stimulation um, as much as you can. So, for example, exchanging items or offering new kinds of hides from a different material is for sure a good first step into the right direction here. Rebecca, I would like to add something to that. Um, and this Thank you, goes for This goes for whether you're um, keeping your geckos in a an elaborate terrarium with plants or um, whether you're quarantining them. I think a variety of food um, stimulates the animals as well as providing, you know, sure. a varied nutritional diet. Um, sure. So I think yeah. that's something that Brooke could try as well. That's a good point, and thank you so much because I, uh, yeah, sometimes I forget to to add some points because they're so logical to me. That was, a, that was an awesome question, Well, it's just that I forget about them. So, yes, of course, food <laughs> and food items is one of another important point. And it is also a good idea of, you know, um, thinking, uh, comparing a little bit the food items to our food system, so to speak. I mean, uh, let's see how I can explain this best. I mean, you have the wax worms, which are actually like burgers or uh, sweets, <laughs> like pies. And then you have, of course, uh, the, the um, other insects that are more like uh, biological food or very low in fat and so on. And, and you can counterbalance that to every single gecko's needs. So there's another... I think that that could be another topic where, where people could talk and discuss for hours and hours how to feed your, your colony and how to feed your gecko and in which way do breeding colonies differ from the private gecko group at home. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. That, that was an excellent uh, question, Brooke, by the way. Um, all right, we have our next caller from the uh, 316 Area code three one six. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Caller, you there? Caller, okay, you're out. <laughs> I guess it didn't connect. Okay, all right. Um, Rebecca, I have so many questions for you. It's crazy. Um, one, <laughs> of the, one of the I'm glad you have. That, <laughs> it's a good time. Oh, okay. Yeah, what are the things that always, like, being here in America, and I always wonder, like, I know you said in the last show that there's not a lot of differences between how you guys do things and how we do things here, but I always wonder about, um, you know, different cultures of people and how they handle things and basically how they do things. So my question is, what differences can you see um, from your experience observing American breeders and American hobbyists. What what differences do you see between us and uh, those of you in Germany or in Europe? Great. I think first of all we need to separate the private breeders from the 
um, breeders that do this for a living. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are huge differences about those groups. Uh, I think I will know, of course, naturally the most about the hobbyist breeder uh, society. And uh, as many of you know, I have been a member of uh, gecko forums and for quite some time. I think 2007 or so. So of course I had the great honor and a pleasure to meet many of uh, the talented um, breeders in in U.S. there and read their opinions and thoughts and uh, was able to compare them here. Um, I think one of the most, uh, uh, yeah, the the funny thing to start with is that um, due to the fact that the reptile community or the gecko community more or less had its origin in the U.S., and the first animals were imported from U.S. to Europe. Um, it is n- quite a natural thing that many of the products, the products that we use, are uh, from from the U.S. So we use the same heat mats. We use your uh, caging systems and so on. So uh, many American breeders did have a huge impact on how we do things over here. You were naturally always a little bit ahead of us in in the early years, and um, still today there are differences in breeding lines between Europe and U.S., which I find very, very interesting, by the way. And um, so I think there are, in the theory, these same uh, systems available. It's just a question what people prefer. And here, over, over here in Europe, people prefer to have glass tanks with a very natural, realistic environment. And, um, yeah, most, I think, many people use a substrate as a ground for the geckos that is a mixture of terrarium sand and, um, oh, I don't know the word in English, let me think. Hmm. Um, um, it is called Because, lehm in, is in German. It is called lehm in German. Actually, it is a substrate, a natural substrate that will give the sand a baked form, a hard form. So the geckos, the sands behind it is the geckos don't digest it. So this oh, was it's like a, a um, like a peat, like a peat moss, something like that. Perhaps? No, a peat moss is a is a wet. Um, Oh, I know what you're talking about. We are talking it, it, about yeah, a really it, dry and like like hard yeah. bake. It's, it becomes really, really, really hard, really dry. So this mm-hmm. has been one of the most used um, grounds in the last uh, yeah decades. And it was just recently in the last years that me and some other breeders realized that it was not really the perfect solution for us because we had not only me, also some other colleagues that I really trust and that are in the hobby for a long time. We had the feeling that for us personal, in in our personal opinion, to make this clear, our geckos uh, did not grow as good as we wanted them to grow on those substrate because it it was so dusty that... um, They got a dust uh, shimmer all over their skin. It wasn't really pretty to look at, and they got darken also. I didn't know why they did darken. 
that would be a research topic for sure, an interesting one. <laughs> if anybody is interested in doing this, I would be happy to support you here, but uh, I don't have the time for it. So we compare different grounds, and then, of course, every breeder has his own preference. But um, right now, we, um, I personally recommend as a perfect ground for hobbyist breeders who want to heat with a light bulb, so to use heat above, is to uh, use, and again, I like the English words, I'm very sorry, to use the materials you usually use in your bathrooms at the wall and at the bottom. It's called fleecen. I love the English words. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm sorry, you can't just know everything. <laughs> so <laughs> this it's is right. not really uh, only a nice uh, optical uh, thing to look at, and it gives it a realistic um, uh, appearance. I think it is also the more natural background uh, that geckos live in. Because if you look at wild populations, they don't live on sand. They just don't do. There are no desert geckos. They live on stony, rocky habitats. So that was the idea for me and some others behind this thing to try it out and spread the message. And uh, many people have tried it, and I see that many uh, breeders in Germany especially are using it with great success. So um, this will be the optimum solution for heat bulb uh, bulb-heated terrariums until we find maybe an even better one. So it's always, I think, in, in breeding and housing, it's always work in progress. You can only do the best of your current knowledge. So we have to be aware on the fact that there might be a better solution if we just are staying curious and, and looking out for new uh, possibilities. Mm, absolutely. All right, I'm going to bring on Angela. Angela is trying to get through to us. And, uh, Angela, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Angela, can you hear me? Angela, what's up? This is the second time you tried to call in. I can't hear you. Oh, she just dropped off. All right, I guess she must be having trouble. I feel bad. She wanted to ask you a question. Um, bye, Tim. Bye, Tim. You Maybe she would call again. Yeah, um, uh, she says it's not working in the chat room. Rebecca, you recently um, had the, the ham expo. Uh, how did that go for you? Um, I'm attending the ham shows for quite some time, and I always love it. It's it's a wonderful place to be. It's actually similar to your Daytona show. It's a place where everybody has the chance to meet each other in person, which is another point I think that is so important for us breeders um, today, because we are facing a time when we talk and communicate mostly about the Internet, and we already had this topic uh, in the last roundtable discussion here on your radio show, and uh, the, th the thoughts of your colleagues uh, were just fantastic, and it's definitely also something that I agree with. It's so much easier to um, get the real feeling behind it all and, and to gain more knowledge if you're um, looking for a direct personal contact to other breeders. It's a situation where you can only win. And as soon as you're able and willing to um, see 
every meeting with another reptile colleague as a chance and not as a competition, you can only win. It's, it's a simple truth that many people of us forget. We are one community. Everybody is depending on the other at one point or another. So um, those shows are a fantastic uh, chance to get in contact, and it's always yeah, uh, such an, an emotional thing to be at home because so many people know you and you know them and you have been friends with them for so long. And um, this season was especially nice because um, – our regular customers secretly um, yeah, made a surprising visit at our table and coming to us. And, it was, and, and also some colleagues were stepping by, although they had their own table. So um, for those of you guys that are listening, thanks a lot. It was so much fun. And, uh, yeah, so I always enjoy being there. That's cool. awesome. Um, um, I, hope, I hope someday I can get there. I, I don't think I'm famous enough yet. To go to, to go to the hand show. But David, you're it's, it's always welcome at my table. No problem. <laughs> oh, I hope to make I it show you around. I really do. That'd be so cool. I, I would love to. I I think someday I'll get there. I will. Um, I'm working up it's to it. I'm kind so of like sad that I can't make you a video or something. I in the last episode we talked about this, but then I had to. Yeah, um, I was confronted with the fact that. It's not allowed to make any videos or even photographs from the show, so I'm very sorry. <laughs> would have That's loved okay. to do a special hum episode for you. Oh, that would be awesome, but no, it's okay. I understand. It's completely fine. We have a couple more callers. You want to take? Um, let's take one more caller here from the uh, 347 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, caller. Are you there? Three four seven, you're live. Oh, hello. Okay. Uh, oh, hold on. You there? Three four seven. Are you there? Hello. Yes, sir. Go ahead. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. All right. I can't be. I can't be playing games. <laughs> All right. Let's okay. Get back to um, the interview. Um, if possible, David, I would love to take the chance to answer some of the Facebook questions. Um, yeah, let's do that. I made a post on calls. my Facebook account and asked people to write me their questions, and I don't want to disappoint them. So, yes, I, I would love to make it short and answer a few of them. And, Rebecca, let me just tell you, um, don't feel like you're rushed. Uh, we can go over the two-hour mark if we need to. Okay. Um, and okay, just, great. just so you know. Okay, I hope my telephone uh, accus are, or the batteries are holding that long, but we will try <laughs> our very best. Okay. So, yeah, and just for the all right, people, hold uh, on one second. If you don't mind. Yeah, wait, one second, mind, Rebecca. I'll... Let, me just tell the li- let me tell the listeners one thing. Um, okay. If you guys want to listen past two-hour mark, you'll have to listen – It'll be in the it'll it'll be in the download of course afterwards, so you'll be able to listen to it after. But if you want to listen live uh, after two hours, you'll have to call in on the phone and listen. Okay, just so you guys know. All right, go ahead, Rebecca. All right, so Marco Struck from Germany, he's a colleague of mine, is asking, might it be possible that there are a few different ghost genes around? And this is a very mm. good question and one that I would love to answer. To my current knowledge, from what I have seen 
in my own breeding stock and in the stock of the very few other selected people that I trust. And on all the other stocks, I'm pretty, pretty confident that right now, to the current uh, state of knowledge and time, there is one ghost gene around. It is due, this feeling comes due to the fact that in my breeding stock and in all the others that I trust, the results are the same. You are getting animals from a ghost to whatever crossing that are, of course, depending on the cross you are doing, but in their appearance, in the general appearance and in their characteristics, they are very, very constant. And many, many of our non-albino ghosts are very green. They are actually a lot better in color than most of the amaranths I have seen. And I also work with them and I love them. But it, it really um, wonders and surprises me that nobody has seen this before, that those non-albino ghosts are just so green. And you can't really mistake um, a normal low-end ghost for a normal hypo. It's just mm, impossible because the one is more yellow and the other one is more green. So, um, of course, it, I think the whole ghost discussion is like the white and yellow thing. And uh, Carsten Grieshammer, my colleague from Germany, has used some fantastic phrases that I will quote here. Uh, if you don't trust the breeder, don't get geckos from him. Do your research. And this is what I can now give as a tip. Um, do your research carefully. Go to geckoforums.net or other sources that have been known to be the meeting place for the, yeah, the top breeders or many breeders around the globe. And go back in timeline. Search. If somebody claims he has worked with them for years, that doesn't mean... Yeah, that, that it must mean that there must be some proof over there in some post or whatever. Look how the animals appear uh, to you and, and follow your gut feeling. And um, if you want to be sure if, that you want to work with this trade, the same game as with the white and yellows, select your breeders carefully, select it from people you trust, and be aware with the ghost of the fact that almost nobody is breeding them right now due to the fact that they were really forgotten for a long time. So it is quite rare or almost impossible to get a real genetic ghost by accident, by a pectobi or whatever. So please, if you want to do this, if you want at least, if you want to have the results we are seeing in our stock, um, get your animals from the few selected sources. The informations are out there and um, available to you. So use your common sense and your detective uh, spirit and find out who has them and who is also willing to support you, to inform you, to help you out in order to make this project work. I also think this is a very important uh, point. But yes, up to date, there is one ghost line present. So Awesome. Next question, let's see. Um, do different morphs have different characteristics, and who came up with the white and yellow and black pearl? Okay, I'm not really sure. It is a very general question. I mean, what is a different characteristic? 
I think every true morph has a different characteristic and phenotype that makes it unique, easily separates them from other morphs around, and which is reproducible. I think those are the characteristics that you want to have in phenotype. I also have the feeling, as we've talked before, that several lines tend to have several characteristics and character. I can always say that the, the ghosts are pretty tame, but for example, whatever, um, the, the, yeah, some of the high glows are even tamer. And I also can tell you that um, the electric collection that we have, and those are all original stock by, bred by his, um, based on the foundation mail, you have two different characteristic lines, both in phenotype and in personality. So um, there is a lot of, of room for, for individual characteristics, and of course they have a morph, a true morph should have some of them, of course. So um, who came up with the white and yellow and black pearl? Uh, the white and yellow is an old mutation, and it's coming from Eastern Europe or from Russia, actually. Uh, Carsten Grieshammer has uh, published an awesome article about those. You can find this already on our homepage under uh, Learning Center, so I will not uh, really go into detail here. The information is all on the site, and of course, uh, he is the one, the, the main source of information uh, that uh, I also use for the white and yellows because of the fact that the white and yellows are pretty new for me too. I um, followed the work of other breeders for a long time, and I didn't want to rush into the white and yellows because I wanted to find, I really take the time of finding the very few um, animals that fit perfectly into our breeding groups. So I'm not the uh, oldest and wisest expert for white and yellow, and I highly recommend reading this article where you can find many interesting um, things. And also, with the black pearl, it is also said to be a mutation that popped out in Europe in a wild population at a zoo. It was then acquired by, uh, I think it was living art geckos, Conrad, which is not in the breeding scene anymore. It was then taken over by TUG in Canada, and today Matt Boran Baronek, I hope I spelled this correctly, <laughs> has bred yeah, them. Yeah, you got it right. Uh, and he's, yeah, I, I remember that, that he said that many people uh, don't get his name correctly, and Matt, if you're listening, I try my best. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, you're definitely the, the source of information that I recommend for this uh, really interesting and exciting morph because, uh, uh, yeah, he's for sure the one um, doing all those uh, interesting crosses and stuff. Is, and uh, he, he can provide, I think, the best information about um, the black pearl. Next question. Tell us about can, your electrics uh, and your Excuse me, belt. Rebecca. I'm sorry, Rebecca. Yes? Can I just add one thing real quickly? Um, if people are interested in hearing more about uh, the Black Pearl uh, project, um, Craig Stewart of the Urban Gecko um, gave a very uh, a little uh, bit of a background on it. 
when he did a reptile radio episode. So if you go to reptileradio.com and you go to the archives and you find uh, the Craig Stewart episode, um, the listeners will be able to uh, get some more background on that project. Awesome. I will listen for that. Uh, I will listen to that for sure because I'm pretty interested myself in, in the black pearls. So this is an amazing info. Uh, thank you so very much for sharing. Um, yes, next question. Um, tell us about the electrics and neon bells. How do you came up about the two lines and your visions, visions for the future with them? Okay, we already talked a little bit about um, those two projects. To put it short, um, the electrics are all based on the original breeding stock from Kelly herself. And uh, I've been breeding them for some time, and the more animals I was able to acquire and to reproduce, um, the better the overview became. And today, in my population, in my breeding stock, I personally have the feeling that there are two different types of uh, electrics. Um, there is what I call the volcano type. Those are um, one-colored, very intense colored uh, red geckos without any spots or markings, and they are mostly banded. So Volcano is one of our breeders that um, really constantly reproduces those characteristics, and you can easily separate his offspring from, I would call it, the Saturn line. Saturn is, uh, as we already said, the very first animal that was ever imported to Europe. He has um, more of a jungle pattern, and as you can see on the homepage compared to Volcano, he's not all red, but he has an amazing um, game of colors with green and so on, and he also passes those traits very, very strongly to um, his offspring. And in my feeling, both are representing the typical electric highlights and, and pattern that makes this line so special, and I personally really, really love both types and would love to and hold them this way uh, for the future. So we will not just be focusing on breeding an all-red gecko. There are already, I think, in my opinion, enough um, of bloodlines over there, but we will, um, yes, let the electrics lead us to where they want to be, which is, in my opinion, those different types and some mixture between those two, and uh, this is what we will focusing on also on our future work, just to enhold them, what is not easy to achieve um, if, if um, you're really trying for this high red animals, and I think that this is what we will be very busy with in uh, the coming years to enhold the quality that was given and entrusted by us from the original breeder. And the Neon Bell, yes, of course, we, we already talked about uh, the future projects. Of course, we want to cross them into other lines and see what they can do. I also want to reproduce them a little bit more to find out their secrets and, and get my own impression of what's going on there. Uh, you can't just say everything about one season, so I'll be happy to uh, talk about that in, in some more seasons when I have a little bit more of first-hand experience. Okay, so any more questions? Let's see. Yes, of course. 
Uh, Angela Smith wants to know about the Paradox Bot project. Okay, this is a project that uh, has been with us for a long, long time, uh, simply due to the fact that the Paradox Bots did occur uh, in different projects from a very early point of time. So we don't have one Paradox group, but uh, it started out that several animals just developed Paradox markings and from different projects and um, to an extent that caught our attention, so we just took them and bred them together. We have been doing so, I think, since 2004, 2005, something like that. And what I can definitely say is that, what I cannot say is that uh, I know the genetics 100%. It seems to me that it is a polygenetic thing because it's not so easy to reproduce. Um, the heriability of the possibility to develop paradox spots is very high in our lines. I can't say anything about other stocks. If other people, uh, I'm very open-minded and thankful for, for any um, information exchange in this topic. So if other people are breeding paradox spots and want to share their findings with me, I'm very, very happy uh, to talk with you and chat about this and your theories. So in my breeding stock, we get them every year, pretty constant, but I can't pick you an animal and say, yeah, this one will get a paradox spot or this female with this male will produce 100 paradox spots. And even the color and the size and the location have so much variations that I assume to the current uh, impression that I have that it is like lavender, um, mostly a line bred thing. Meaning if you have paradox and you breed it together, and you're really good in selecting work, you can increase the possibility of those paradox spots to uh, appear. Interesting. That's awesome. Hey, Rebecca, I have a special question uh, for you. Earlier I sent you a picture of my uh, Jim Snow Diamondback, and we were talking a little oh, bit about awesome it. Oh, awesome one. Um, oh, thank you. I'm so proud of that one. It was, it was a, it's like a one in a million gecko to have it come out so perfect, and it actually made it into Reptiles Magazine last month, and I don't know. I was just so excited. But um, seeing your, your diamondbacks in the circle, uh, circles that you're forming on your geckos, do you think, and what is your experience with these uh, circlebacks and diamondbacks? Do you think they uh, can be reproduced? I've produced, I haven't produced any others than just this one that I have. So, you know, that looks exactly like him. I have another line in my Bell Albino line where I produce uh, yin-yangs, I call them. They're like circles, uh, and they come out pretty regularly with the circles on their backs, but this one that I created that has the actual ge geometrical diamond, more or less, um, is, is extraordinary to me. What, do you, what, do you, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, this is the perfect question for me. <laughs> I also had this... Uh, <laughs> um, uh -huh. Where to start? Okay, my mind is quicker than my tongue. Let's see. Um, <laughs> like Similar to you, I hatched out at a pretty early state those geckos that I called Diamondback. And a Diamondback for me in the last year was basically yeah, a double circle back pattern or in, in, in the vision, in the dream that I have, uh, a gecko that replaced the banded markings, all of them with a circle and so I thought for many, many years, and we are coming. You're seeing now how we get um, 
back in ethics or or philosophy every time. It's so funny because yeah, I thought that, that that's the truth. They are diamondbacks, blah blah blah. And then I got this amazing female with this really sharp, angulated diamond pattern in red, and she was just mind blowing. And she changed everything. So now I have the feeling, yeah, that those are like your animal and mine. Those I would call actually diamondbacks because they deserve the the name. Uh, due to their clearly visible diamond-shaped form and all the others I would call circle-back or extreme circle-back. I still love them. And, and I don't want to, you know, upgrade or downgrade one for the other, but I think the term is just not so really fitting for the round markings anymore. And um, this project is also a pretty new one for me because, uh, yeah, I just did the first crossings and um, I paired back one son with, us, with this female from last year, this season, and I just got two babies out just two weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, so I can't say anything about that right now. What I feel is that the circle back pattern is visible at birth, so I'm not sure if the diamond back pattern is always so visible at hatching. We will see. It's something that we will have to look into and obviously I'm very sorry I, I can't just uh, share any secret uh, here it is a new project or still a project that I can't really say so much about it for sure and in this um, situations I always prefer to say what I don't know <laughs> and leave it for, for this as long as I you know um, staying mm -hmm. in this situation, and then when I find something for sure, then I can say, yeah, okay, it, it's, it's like this or like that. But basically, mm -hmm. I'm always uh, interested in cooperations with other breeders, and um, whoever has them or wants to share information, I'm more than open in working and cooperating with those breeders. But um, for an official report, I think it's far too early for that right now, because like you said I haven't hatched another one, which is due simply uh, um, based on the fact that uh, I, I haven't breeding them for so long. Mm -hmm. well, just to give you a little insight into um, how I produced mine, I, pr I bred uh, a male gem snow lavender, lavender bell that was head for eclipse to a pure gem snow female that I got both her from uh, the Bright Albino line, Paul Allen, and um, uh, most, most of the babies came out just like normal banded uh, gem snows. One was a, a normal. Um, all of them are going to be head for bell, of course. And uh, But this one came out with a very sharp diamond. And, of course, as it aged, it didn't keep that clean, uh, crisp uh, look to it. It did kind of fade out a little bit, but it's still a really interesting-looking gecko. Everybody begged me to... Uh, show an update pick, but I kind of want him to be remembered the way he was. Um, it just that's just how I how I feel about it. But um, you know, this season, what I was going to do was because he's a male, I was going to breed him to his siblings, and then um, see what would happen, and maybe even uh, breed him back to the to the mother. But um, I don't know if, if you know what would you think would be the best uh, pairing for something like that. Um, it totally depends on your genetic source. If you are uh, having a colony or 
that is already strongly inbred, I would think about if, if taking it is if it is really worth taking the risk but usually for test there are two things i think in the gecko community that are clearly a separate thing there is general breeding and there's test breeding but not only i mean when we are talking about test breeding then people think about this whole tremper bell albino stuff test breeding is not just testing for recessive traits test breeding is also when i acquire a new female and she sold to me a super fertile and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I want to make sure, is she really what she's supposed to be? Then I want to make sure I'm doing a test pairing. And I'm doing so by selecting a male that um, I have used in many years before that has given me, secondly, uh, is, is a very constant reproducer of general strength and fertility. And this is also where uh, we talked in the Sasselbeck interview. Uh, you talked about this important topic with him. I think it was called genetic library. It is really, really important mm -hmm. to get your hands on some males that really give you what you need in general strength, fertility, whatever, meaning you can get whatever female on him and he will improve it. This doesn't mean that you will um, use a bad female for this male. It just means that by comparing your results from the same male to different females, you can evaluate how he is reproducing. And if he is giving you constantly res constant n nice results with, um, in, in those characteristics we are looking for currently in this cross, remember it's about general strength and fertility. <laughs> those are... <laughs> My, my European colleagues always uh, one makes jokes that those are the words that I mainly use when talking about geckos. Rebecca uh, is talking about general health and fertility, but yeah, just a funny side note. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> when you take now the, your your new female and you pair it with a male, and you get an absolute catastrophic result out of it, you can easily tell or you have a better opinion or, or impression who might be the carrier of those unwanted genes that were that resulted in the offspring to be that way. So you now have the chance removing this female from your breeding program. You don't want to, you know, um, call the breeder and mess with him or whatever, unless he sold you a proven breeder, 100%, whatever, perfect. But I know very few breeders who really do give guarantees because as an honest breeder with living animals, there are so many factors involved that you, there are very few cases where you can give a guarantee. So um, mm -hmm. the good breeders know that and they are aware of that and they are educating their clients and they find a solution and blah 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 but what you want to do with this test crossing is you don't want to blame someone but you want to have this knowledge for yourself it is a gain every time you know something about an animal it's a chance it's, it's a real chance of improving your stock and stepping one step ahead and sometimes in order to get one step ahead you have to take one back you don't want to have every female you acquire in your breeding program, and I surely don't want to have every male. There are so many animals that I bought and I loved, and they are still with me, but they are not my breeders. They are pets 
Or if I don't like them, then I can find them new loving homes. Okay, all right, it's up to your decision if you want if you personally have a bond, bond with them, like, like me in many cases, if they stay with me for some time, or if you don't. But you definitely have to separate, as I already wrote in, in one of my articles, your whole collection into the loving pets and everything cute and sweet and everything your heart hangs on to. Those are your pets. They are not bad. They are not better. They are just what they are, pets. And then you have the breeders. And breeders improve you things, or they hold things, but they never reproduce something you don't want to have. So I think yeah. that, that would be the basic idea. Um, so to come back to your question, I would think it is a good idea to do a test crossing. In this case, uh, maybe uh, breeding the siblings to each other and also breeding um, the male back to its mother if uh, this uh, diamond pattern um, came through an, an outcrossing. So th this is for mm -hmm. sure a way that, that wouldn't be a bad thing for me to do. And this is exactly why I did the same thing here in my stock because I know the genetics behind and I know that it was okay because the animals were completely outcrossed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, that's probably uh, what I'm going to do and we'll hope for the best. I hope I uh, can reproduce it in some form. It would be pretty pretty amazing. Um, Definitely you know, crossing they, all my fingers. And if you ever, whatever, <laughs> want to talk about it, what? or <laughs> just I'll give me a call or in, in, in mail. I'm really curious about that, and I'm wishing you best of luck. And I'm sure, uh, going from your interest in, in reptiles, that, that you definitely are capable of doing that. So... Uh, I'm really, really excited to see what, what you come up with in the future. Well, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. Um, I'm going to uh, do this pairing this season with the siblings and maybe back to the to the mother. And uh, after that, I'll send you out the mail, and you can work with them if you want and maybe uh, cross them to some of yours. What do you think? Oh, amazing. <laughs> That's Christmas for me. <laughs> Really? <laughs> we could talk about it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, it's, yeah, maybe sure. that's what it needs. And... All right, cool. We could talk about that, Rebecca. That's awesome. Well, I have to say it's been an awesome interview with you, and it's it's really so refreshing to, uh, like many of our guests that we have on the show, um, just to, to speak with people that are so devoted to this and that just have so much knowledge and experience. Um, it's just very refreshing. So, I want to thank you very much for coming on, and also I want to give you a moment here to uh, go ahead and give any closing remarks that you'd like to, to give, and also to keep in mind that you are welcome back anytime, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, bringing you back for one of the roundtable discussions too. Thank you. I want to take the chance of, uh, first of all, like in the last episode, uh, yeah, really, really um, give, uh, the tip to all of the gecko enthusiasts, may it be um, experienced breeders, may it be especially first-time um, people that are maybe just looking for a leopard gecko, whatever. Um, yes, please be aware that those are living creatures, that they have feelings and that they will um, get back to you everything you put into them in time and effort and in your search for 
the best solution in, in housing, keeping them and, and providing them a long and happy life because I think this is what it should be all about in keeping animals. We all want our dogs to be old. We all want our cats to be as old as possible. It would be so awesome if, if um, yes, um, people would also, uh, and I'm sure they already do, but if, if, if in public uh, more people would um, get the message out to uh, try to get our geckos as old as possible because old geckos have such fascinating personalities. Some of my favorite animals are by far the ones that are uh, living with me for the longest and, and you definitely can uh, make a band of, of improvement in, in uh, the relationship. So, um, yes, this is what it's really important to me and what I wanted to get out. Uh, second, we just updated for this show our homepage completely. You can find now all the projects and hopefully many useful information on our new homepage. It is dragoongecko.com. And also we just opened a new Facebook page. You can find us under our name Dragoon Gecko. And uh, we will post all our new projects there and updates in the future. I have many, many ideas about uh, how to make this Facebook um, account an interesting one. If you want to um, share your thoughts how to make it uh, done and, and what could be interesting for you, just uh, give me a PM or send me a mail. Uh, same goes for the website. We are always depending very much on the input we get from our colleagues and hobby interests and uh, what they find should be on the page that is not already be found on the books. Um, last of all, I would really, really like to thank you, David and Tim, for being such uh, nice interviews. It was really a fun and a pleasure, again, being here with you. And it's a real honor for me being in this show um, as so many talented and much more experienced people have already done those interviews here. And so I'm really happy to join in the line uh, with them. makes me really proud. Thank you so very much. Awesome. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you so Go much ahead, for coming on, Rebecca. You're a really great guest to have on the show, and I'd like to uh, invite you, when you're ready, to come check out any of the expos that we have here in the U.S. Um, you're more than welcome to uh, to come join us and uh, oh, do everything sure. you can. You know, if you need if you need a ride from the airport or uh, a place to stay, if you want to come check out the White Plains Expo, which is uh, close to where I live, it'd be great to uh, to have you over here stateside. Actually, this has a dream for many years. Only problem I have to uh, solve right now is how to get the geckos, my geckos, over there. <laughs> but in theory, I would be really, really um, happy to to come, and maybe, um, yeah, I just will start as a normal visitor, and yeah, make um, the sales as always. But of course, it would be a big, big dream um, being as a breeder um, on one of your shows and and uh, part for one day. Uh, of your U.S. community would be great. 
If, uh, oh, if you can make uh, one show, I would definitely recommend uh, trying to make it to the Tinley Expo in Chicago. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. let's see what we can do. <laughs> awesome. All right, great, Rebecca. We'll be in touch, and uh, we'll, we'll try to set something up to have you back for a roundtable discussion. How's that sound? Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Have a good night and sleep well. Thank you, you too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. What do you say, Tim? I think that was a terrific interview. Pretty good, pretty good. Um, It's almost like we practiced this once before. (laughs) Yeah, it it did seem... (laughs) Well, it didn't seem too... um, I, I don't think it was repetitive at all, do you? No, it definitely wasn't, but um and we we definitely uh figured out our uh stepping on each other, um talking over each other, so that was good. Right. Um you know, like I've told everybody, we're not professional radio show hosts. We do our best and the whole point is to basically um get a get valuable, good information out to the community and just have a positive resource. So I think we're we're accomplishing that rather well. Um you know, it's it's tough. It's not the easiest thing to do doing a radio show. But I don't know. I have to thank everybody that's uh, been supporting the show. All the people in the chat room tonight were amazing. I don't know. There was like 30 people in there, and there's a whole bunch of people uh, still listening right now that called in at the two-hour mark. I want to thank all of you guys for that. That's that's so cool. Um, that's the support that that I love, and that just keeps me motivated. Uh, I mean, I would do the show if there was only one person listening. I mean, that's how fun it is for me. But, you know, it's just one of those things where I appreciate the support. Um, well, I don't know, Tim, is there anything else that you want to discuss before we uh, wrap things up? I'd, I'd like to tell everybody that um, when, when Dave, when you asked me to, to do the show with you, um, I was being sarcastic and, and joking as you were leaving the White Plains Expo. And I said, uh, you know, oh, what's in it for me or what are you going to give me? And uh, you you actually stop to think like oh what you know what what could I give Tim for doing the show with me, and uh, you know I was I was thinking it's funny uh, you know Dave you don't you don't get any any money or uh, you know any any benefit to doing the show you you really just do it for the community but I thought it was so funny that you were actually trying to think of something that that you could give me <laughs> for for helping you out through the show. <laughs> I think I, I think I wasn't thinking about what to give you. I was trying to think of a good funny comeback, actually. <laughs> well, then I stumped so. you. But um, but no, I thank you very much for having me on the show, and um, I just like to uh, put my information out there. Uh, you, can, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I never update my uh, Facebook page. Um, I will try to get better with doing that in the future. But it's slice of the jungle. Uh, on Facebook, and then it's also uh, my email is sliceofthejungle at yahoo.com if anybody wants to get a hold of me. And uh, the Reptile Radio episode that I mentioned earlier in the show, it was actually, I believe it's the May of 2009 episode, and you can get it, um, it it is actually on Blog Talk. Um, It's the the May 30th, 2009 episode uh, with Craig Stewart. And uh, I'm plugging cool. your uh, predecessor there, too, Dave. I hope you don't mind. That's okay. No, not at all. Hey, I've told people that, um, you know, people ask me, oh, are you, are you in some competition with this other show or this and that? I'm like, no. I, you know, I've always, if I was to worry about every radio show out there, 
um, you know, there's thousands of them. I think I'd be, my head would explode. That's what I mentioned on Facebook recently. I, it, you know, I try to look at things as not as competition, as in addition to. And I think we can all do our own thing and, and have a voice and uh, basically, you know, like an interview with, uh, I think Justin said it great for, on the Herpentine crossover, an interview on my show would be different being hosted by somebody else on another show. Um, so it's not like it's going to be a repetitive thing. So if you have the idea to start your own radio show, by all means, do it. Go right ahead. And don't worry about me. I'm not competing with you. I'm too busy thinking about trying to make this show the best that I can make it. All right? So don't worry about anything like that, anybody out there. Um, you know, and, and I don't worry about it either. I mean, occasionally, you know, somebody will bring something up and say, oh, this guy's copying you or, or now this guy's doing what you're doing. And whatever, that's fine. I think mimicry is the highest form of flattery. So, you know, do what you want to do. You know, that's how I look at it, Tim. But um, and know, the, as far as the reptile talk, that's great. You know, let them plug the show. It's, it's good information, you know, on the black the, world. It's uh, awesome. Larry and BT, the guys who started uh, Reptile Radio, I believe they were the first um, blog talk-related um, reptile program, and they really, um, you know, got into a flow and produced some really, uh, if you want to call it, semi-professional uh, shows, and uh, there's a wealth of knowledge from a number of uh, the top readers in the hobby and um, from a number of uh, professional breeders as well. And it's really a wealth of information for people that are interested in uh, digging through some of those archives and uh, going back and listening to some of those older episodes. Hmm. Well, do you think that we could, uh, are you in, um, are you friends with Craig from Urban Gecko? Because I'd love to have him on the, on the show to talk about uh, his projects and the Black Pearls. No, I've actually, uh, I've never spoken to him or corresponded with him, but um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd be interested in uh, doing an episode if we shoot him an email. Okay. All right, cool. I'd definitely like to do that. And Tim, I want to extend an invitation to you as well. Anytime that you'd like to uh, co-host with me, uh, just you're more than welcome. You have an open invitation. So, Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate it. I, I think uh, I think the episode went very well. Um, it's uh, I think the show is, is getting better and better, uh, and uh, and your um, you know the way you put on the show is uh, getting better and better. So um, everybody uh, in the community that's a part of it and that helps out. Um, you know, Steve does a great job, all the sponsors. I think it's something that's good for everybody. Cool. I know. That's all planned, man. But, uh, all right, it's getting late. I'm going to wrap things up now. Uh, I'm going to let you go, Tim, and um, thanks again for uh, co-hosting with me. I'll be in touch with you soon. But Sounds good, Dave. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks to all the listeners out there. Absolutely. All right, later, bro. All right, everybody, I am going to play the outro plug, and then I'm going to have, give you guys my closing remarks in just a few minutes. Oh, and i got to play the Gecko's, Gecko Forms plug. You guys heard us talk about it quite a bit tonight. Check this out. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database 
of Leopard Gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. All right, and here's this, guys. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance. They are our most effective defense against legislation that threatens our rights of exotic animal ownership. Sign up for their newsletter and donate if you can at usherp.org. Okay, everybody, another terrific episode of Gecko Nation Radio comes to a close, and I have to say, um, I'm sort of so pleased with how everything's going. Uh, you know, the gift of leopard geckos, and I call it a gift, because for many of us, it brings us so much joy and just happiness. Uh, in a time where a lot of us are stressed out over many different things, um, this can provide a solace to a lot of that craziness. Um, you know, if left, if left undisturbed, and nurtured, I can see this hobby or this community and whatever you want to call it, this passion of ours, um, just bringing enjoyment to a lot of people for many years to come. Can you imagine what things will be like in 10 or 20 years of, with our projects and how geckos will look? I, I think it's going to be amazing if, if we're still going to be able to do this. And who's going to still be in this? Will, will David Swine Gecko still be in this? Will you still be involved in this? You never know. You know, things in life change. Uh, I may not be doing this. I mean, I'm sure this radio show won't be on forever. I mean, you never know. I may have a predecessor that takes it over. Um, whatever it is, um, I think, whatever it turns out to be, I think it'll be a nice body of work for uh, the community to enjoy for many years. And uh, my, my, my advice to everyone out there is if you love this as much as we do, please get at least one other person involved because if each one of you does that, we double our community immediately, exponentially. So don't keep it to yourself. And I just want to thank everybody for supporting the show. Good night, Gekonians. Gecko Nation Radio, over and out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.